Um, just uh, a disclaimer. So if you're new or visiting here, normally um, I go about 45 minutes on a, on a study on Sunday morning. Some people say that it's I've seen that, right? Some some people are like, yeah, that's that's maybe it's least. But um, my hope is to go a little shorter this morning and and tie where we're at this morning in with where we're going to be this evening. So we're going to make it through the first ten verses of Exodus chapter thirteen. And 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 in short, for a couple of reasons, I I wanted to uh, give you guys time to be with your family as and and yet set your mind on the Lord as a bookend kind of a thing. First this morning. And then this evening as we go into tomorrow and remember really what the season's all about and the birth of our Savior, Jesus, and, and how that's the greatest gift that, that we can ever give or be given or, or share with anyone else. And um, the first ten verses of this chapter I deal with a, a specific feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And I'm going to read it here in a minute to you and we'll go through it. And I'm going to read a little bit further down into the chapter in chapter 16 and and read also about the law that was given regarding the firstborn uh, and the law that was given to the Hebrew people in regards to a redemption process that God set forth. And next week when we when we join back into chapter 13, we're going to talk about that, and then we're going to go into um, the, uh, the, the rest of this chapter, which is really the beginning of the account of God leading his people into the promised land. And it's a really cool picture as we begin of what God does in, in preparing his people for the journey, and that's what we're going to focus on today, and with the with the feast of unleavened bread, and then uh, the, the 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 beginning of next week's study will be a continuation of that as we look at this redemption of the firstborn, the the law of redemption regarding the firstborn. But the mindset that I want us to have in this is, is this was a preparation. God was preparing His people for the journey into the promised land, and we know that ultimately the children of Israel wandered through the wilderness for 40 years, nearly 40 years before they entered in. But the original journey only should have taken a few weeks. And we know that when they got to the promised land after meeting God and having a covenant established with them at Mount, uh, um, at Mount Sinai, where the Mosaic Law was given, where God said, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. And God sealed that deal with them and giving him his law. And we know the Ten Commandments and more were, were born out of that. But, but because of unbelief, we're told they didn't enter into um, the, the promised land. And, and the, that generation who who um, did not believe the Lord, that would not enter in, they they were forbidden. They they passed away, and once they all passed away, the Lord brought them in. Um, but the thing that I want us to look at is is this preparation of this. God has now delivered His people out of Egyptian bondage, and we're going to look again some of the spiritual representation to that, and then going to lead them into the Promised Land. There's a lot of things that are going to occur. Um, as we read through these sections of Scripture that are really relevant to our lives today as we walk by faith, live in accordance with God's Spirit leading us, and um, really understand that the promised land isn't a future destination for us. The promised land, figuratively speaking, speaking figuratively or spiritually speaking, is the, the life that we have now in Christ. And so these things that are preparing the children of Israel for that journey, which should have only taken a few weeks, is things that prepare us, things that carry us through this life that we now live with Christ, this new life that we've been given as a result of our faith in Christ. Um, and, and we know that the babe that was born in the manger that we celebrate and recognize and, and, and worship the Lord for today and, and tomorrow as we join together with our families and eat good food and all those kinds of things, 
is ultimately was ultimately for the goal of becoming that Passover lamb, that sacrificial lamb. And that's what we've been studying through, if you haven't been with us, as we've been reading and studying through the book of Exodus. And, and we know that was the tenth plague and uh, with the angel of death and how the Lord delivered them. So as we continue on with this journey, I'm going to read in chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in one of the chairs before you. Um, grab one and um, follow along with me as I read this morning. First one, chapter 13, book of Exodus. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. And so it's a cool picture of this redemption that has taken place, that, that when God delivered the children of Israel out, the sacrificial lamb and the blood that was put on the post, that, that nation, those people, and, and all of the, 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 those who were born after them, the Lord said, they're mine. And, and that's a really cool picture. And it's one of the things that has been key in my life when I understand the Lordship of Jesus Christ is that when Jesus died on the cross for me, and I put my faith in him and in what he did on the cross for me, that I was no longer my own. And before I gave my life to Christ, that's how I lived my life, according to my own will, my own wants, my own desires. I went where I want. I did what I want. And as you guys all know as well, that doesn't go very well. And, and we remain, figuratively speaking, just like the children of Israel did in slavery, in bondage to the sin and to this world and to really the, the effects and control of Satan and the evil that's in our own hearts. But the Lord says, consecrate yourself to me. You are mine. And we know that when, when Jesus died on the cross for us, he paid that debt, that debt that we owed. He redeemed us. Literally, he signed a check with his own life and said, I'm buying you. I'm purchasing you. And so as I begin to walk with the Lord and continue to walk with the Lord, I'm reminded of that at those times when I come to those crossroads in my life. Sometimes that's daily. Um, more than likely, it's daily, where I wake up and I, I'm faced with going and doing things my way or doing things the Lord's way. And, 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 and it doesn't really become an issue of where God wants me to go or what God wants me to do when I realize that I've been bought by Him. And the focus isn't on where God wants me to go or what God wants me to do, how He wants me to live my life. The focus then is then on the relationship that He's bought me to. I'm the servant. He's the master. He's God, the creator. I'm His creation. He's my father, and I'm His son. Redeemed, adopted, purchased, consecrated, set apart. That's us today. And this is what God was establishing with the nation of Israel as he was then leading them out, led them out, and then leading them in, into this life that they would live as him being their God and they, um, and, 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 and he being their people. And that's what it is for us. This is the life that God's called us to. And this is the foundation of it, that we're his in every sense. And so it goes on and Lord speaks to Moses and says again, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both man and beast is mine. And just a, and just a little sub-note, not only are we the Lord, but everything that we have is His as well. Amen? I mean, the Bible says, what do you have that you have not been given? Every good gift comes from God above. 
And so we might wonder, well, I understand the firstborn is a, as a sign that, that, that every future generation belongs to the Lord because of what he did. But what about the beast? And it's this idea of our possession. It's all the Lord. You know, just a little side note here. We don't, we don't pass the, 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 the basket for a tithe offering. And I very rarely ever talk about it unless it comes up in Scripture. And if you want to give, there's a box outside. But I love it when people come to me in this church that are new or visiting and go, this is my home, this is where I want to be. But how do I give money to support? How do I tithe? And when I, when, they, when I do that, I know that when that happens, I know that their heart's right because they just want to give to the Lord. And I know that it's not been, they've not been coerced or begged or bribed or forced into doing something, which so often happens in the church today. But the mentality that comes along with this heart is, is it's not just a 10%. Does, is that a good place to start? Sure. But the thing about it is, is, is the Bible in the New Testament, that is not, God didn't redeem 10% of me or 10% of all my possessions. He redeemed the whole of me. He redeemed everything that I have is because of him. And before him, I had nothing. Nothing. And so whatever the Lord asks, he says, of man and of beast, it is mine. It is mine. And so he goes on in verse 3, and Moses said to the people with this message that he was given, he says, remember the day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of the hand of the Lord he bought you out, brought you out of this place. So, no leavened bread shall be eaten. It might seem like a strange thing to say, but if you guys know the backdrop to the story, you know what, what led up to these events and why it's a thing of remembrance. He says, no leavened bread shall be eaten. Verse 4, on this day, you are going out in the month of Abib. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites, and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which is the promised land, the land of Canaan, he says, which he swore to give to your fathers, and that would be Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to give to you, he says, a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. So the Lord is establishing something here for his people, a thing of remembrance. And he says, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. That's a key. This tells us the purpose of the feast. Just like the Passover was a, the, the, the Lord's Passover, which we talked about last week in detail. It was a Jewish Passover. It was the Lord's Passover. This too Passover wasn't a Jewish Passover. It was a Passover unto the Lord. And in verse 7, unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you. Nor shall leaven be seen among you in your quarters. And some of your, your, your translations may, may say in your dwelling places. Literally in your home, in your house. And you shall, verse 8, I love this, you should tell your son in that day, saying, this is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. It shall be a sign to you and on your hand as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. And you shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. And shall be, verse 11, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as He swore to you and your fathers, and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that opens the womb. That is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of the donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. So in other words, God's making an exception for the, for the donkey out of all the other livestock, of all the other possessions, is that, is that you don't have to to, to, to um, 
if you, if you decide to keep the donkey, there's a difference here. You can redeem it or you can break its neck. And um, all of the firstborn of man, we'll talk about that next week. And I won't get into details of that. But there's a distinction there. There's a difference there, and there's a reason why. But And he says, And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So it shall be, verse 14, when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this that you shall say to him again? By the strength of the hand of the Lord brought us out of Egypt and out of the house of the Bible. These memorials, these remembrances to the deliverance of God, to this fact that God's hand is not too short to save. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go that the Lord killed all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a sign on your hand, on your hand, on the front list between your eyes. For by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Let's pray. Lord, we want to take this time as we pray, first of all, to remember the gift, the gracious gift, your gracious love of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the sacrifice that was made so that we might have a new life in you, so that we might have forgiveness of sins. Lord, so that we might have the debt that we owe paid, Lord, so that we might have this living hope of eternal life to be spared and, and saved from the, the, the death and destruction and the eternal judgment that we deserve. And Lord, we look forward with hope as we remember the birth of your, our Savior and of your Son, Jesus. We look forward to that living hope, to that day, God, when you'll, you'll return, you tell us, and, and in the sky we will be caught up to be with you forevermore. Lord, to that place where many who have gone before us, who we love and who have passed in faith, that, that, that are there now with you by your side, that we would once again see you and see them. And Lord, as we remember that and we look forward to that, I pray, God, that you would strengthen us and encourage us, Lord, for this journey that we're on, for this new life, this promised life, this promised land, Lord, that we live in as we wait for your return. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you want to look back to the beginning of this chapter, I want to point out as we begin to navigate our way through this chapter today and then next week, in total, we need to keep in mind that God has just made the way through the tenth plague where the angel of death came and the Passover was established. He just made the way to deliver his people in spite of Pharaoh's resistance to go. And we talked about last week what the Passover meant, to what, it, what, what it meant in regards to the Hebrew people, and what it meant was a new beginning. And, and, and we have to remember the, the words of the Apostle Paul where he talks about when we put our faith in Jesus Christ that we too have a new beginning. Paul says where old things pass away, where all the old things pass away, and all things become new. It's a wonderful life that we've been given. And it's not a life apart from hardships and trials and difficulties. And, 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 and really, when we look at the children of Israel entering into the Promised Land, we see the battles and the giants and all the things that, that were there for them as God brought them in and gave them possession of that Promised Land. But that's representative of the lives we live. But even though it's a new beginning, it's not without difficulties, yet it tells that God is the one that fights for us. If you look at the chapter 14 of the book of Exodus, we're going to look ahead a little bit and see that, that the children of Israel, 
they say flat out that they're going to be trapped at the at the um, at the Red Sea. And one of the things that they that the Lord speaks to them is He says, "Be silent." This is my paraphrase. Be still, do nothing, and watch what I'm going to do for you. And that's part of what we need to remember this morning. Yet God has delivered them out. We need to keep that in mind. That's the context. And we keep that in mind because in this chapter we're told that as the nation of Israel began their journey towards the promised land and into the promised land, that God had these things. He had these things that he wanted them to do so that, and we've read this over and over again, so that they would not forget. These things as memorials annually, year by year, handed down from generation to generation to help them to never forget. And man, that in, that in itself is a, is a message that we should take and, and, and go home with as we go and worship the Lord tomorrow, is that we should never forget what the Lord has done to deliver us out of that old life. What He set us free from. And this is what God's calling them to, with these things. So in these first 16 verses, we read a little bit more about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and I stated it that way because it was first introduced in chapter 12 that we studied through last week. And in addition to the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, and more details given given and spoken here, we also read about this law regarding the firstborn. And in verse 1, we're told that God spoke this message to Moses, saying, first in verse 2, if you want to look there, and I'm going to end with this, I'm going to begin with this, and I'm going to end with this. So, so, so remember this. It says, consecrate to me the firstborn, for they are mine. And this message... This message, alongside the reminder and the details that are given in regards to the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, was given so that the Hebrew people would not forget this. They would not forget how. Not just the who, but the how God, by the strength of His hand, had delivered them out of Egypt and out of their bondage. How did God deliver you out? For each one of us, we have a different story. We have a different testimony. And each one is a miraculous work of God. But how? Have you shared that with your kids, your co-workers, your friends, your neighbors? How? How? And so as we look at the details found in, verse six, in the first, first 16 verses, we need to look at them through this lens, if you will, if you put on these glasses with me, through these lenses of remembrance. We need to look at these things through the lens of remembrance because they point back to what God had done to deliver them. But I want to also say this. We really need to have those kinds of glasses that, that have two different lenses. You can flip them up when you get inside, right? So we want the lenses that can look backwards as a way of remembrance, but we want to also flip them up and be able to look through another set of lenses as we go through this, a set of lenses that point us forward to, to what Jesus did. And to look forward to who Jesus is in relationship to what prophecy in the Old Testament wrote about, considering these things that we read about right here also pointed or point us to the for, future deliverance, future in reference to where um, we're reading about here in this time, but the future deliverance from death into eternal life that God would make available through His Son, Jesus. There's a huge connection here. And, and, and don't just take my words up for it. Listen to the words of Jesus, because this is something that Jesus testified to when He challenged the Pharisees when He walked upon the earth. 
One time in John chapter 5, verse 39, and Jesus simply said this to them. He said, you search the Scriptures, for in them you think that you have eternal life. I mean, we know the Pharisees were these religious leaders. They were self-righteous. They were prideful. They knew the law. Not only did they know the law, they kept the law, and they kept other laws to help them keep the laws. And Jesus says to them, he says, you guys, you guys search the Scriptures for in them that you think that you have eternal life. But Jesus said this, and he says, and yet these are the things that testify of me. Now, in regards to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, looking backward and looking forward to this time that we now are partakers of, the Feast of Unleavened Bread as an ordinance, as a command, as a law, verse 4 says, look, it says, first it was to be kept in the month of Abib. And that was the first, mo- first month in, in, the, in the, the year calendar, specifically in the, 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 the Israeli's religious calendar, the first month of the year. And it was just like the Passover feast, because we know the, the Passover feast, like we studied about last week, was the first feast of the first month of the first year, that, and then on down from there. And so as we see that, what we see is that the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it began the day after the Passover, and it still does today for Orthodox Jews and Messianic Jews that still remember and celebrate the feast. And as we read here, we're told that it lasted for seven days as a feast unto the Lord. And, and keep in mind, seven days is always significant in regards to, to, to Scripture and, and some numerological things, but in regards to that seven is the number of completion. It, it, it speaks to something greater. For it was a literal thing, seven days, but, but spiritually speaking and figuratively speaking for us, it points us to a state of completion, a wholeness. But it was to last for seven days, and it was to be kept from year to year. And in addition to not eating any leaven during these seven days, um, it says that all leaven also had to be removed from their dwelling places. And this, this, this removing of the leaven was actually something that they were commanded to do as, as, a, as a process that led up to the Passover. And by the time that Passover hit, it was all to be gone, cleaned out, cleared out. No leaven left in the home. And then, of course, kept out during these seven days that ensued. And once again, in verses 8 and 9, look there, God explained for why these things um, for, why, for why these things needed to take place. He gave them a reason for why he had commanded them to do so. And he said, no, eat no leaven in order that you can tell your sons that this is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. In other words, when your kids would go, Dad, why, why don't we eat fluffy bread? Why we got to eat these hard crackers for seven days? You know, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and, and um, there's a thing called Lent. And, and um, every Friday, I, I still don't know the exact reason why, but every Friday one of the things that the Catholics do during Lent, is, at least in my home, is we didn't eat any meat. We ate fish. And my mom would make, like, canned salmon tuna cutlets. And as growing up as a kid, that was the grossest thing ever. But when you have a routine and then you change that routine, that's a part of your life that's set up as a ritual or a thing of remembrance, not necessarily a bad thing, but as long as you can tell why. Why do we do this? Because the why reveals the relationship. 
what God's done for you. And so this is how it was to be in the Jewish home when they said, okay, get all 11 out, now we're only going to eat crackers for seven days. Why? Let me tell you, son, because of what the Lord did for me. Because of what the Lord did for me when I came up out. And even though the, the eating of the unleavened bread was to be a reminder for the Hebrew people of how they left Egypt specifically in haste, as we studied out last week, literally without the time for their bread to rise, I also pointed out last week as we, as we studied through chapter 12 and first read about these commands that leaven, which is the same as, as yeast, is also a spiritual picture of sin. And, and we often look at that in just the context. I want to open your eyes just a little bit more to it. But as we, we often look at that in relationship to the context of baking with breads and other kinds of things. But, you know, one of the other things that yeast is used in is, is in a fermenting process. And so think about that as well. So in regards to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we see how God, in delivering his people out of Egypt, was also calling them. Now, this is key for us. In regards to the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, we see how God, first of all, in delivering his people out of Egypt, was also calling them to respond to what he had done for them by turning away from sin. This is what I've done for you. Here's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread is supposed to be your response to what I've done for you. Respond to what he had done for them by turning away from sin, literally by casting it out of their homes, out of their lives, and living a life free from leaven, a life of holiness, a life apart from sin. And the fact of the matter is, is that every trouble in this world, guys, without a doubt, and every suffering that is in this world is caused by sin. There was no suffering. There was no trouble in God's creation until man sinned. And all sin is missing the mark or break the breaking of God's laws, which are good. Which are, which are holy and which ultimately are beneficial for our lives today in this journey that we're on. And in light of this, we need to remember that Jesus was willing to give his life, right? He was willing to give our, his life to save us from sin. Specifically, sin's death penalty. And his sacrifice was the first step in God's plan to save us. The first step. It was his delivering us out from, right? His sacrifice, the Lamb of God, the, the, our Passover Lamb, his sacrifice was the first step in God's plan to save us and to deliver us out and from sin and from death. And the sacrifice that Jesus made then for us makes all the other steps possible. The Feast of the Unleavened Bread dedicating to the firstborn of the Son, and then on and on and on. As we study through the book of Exodus, we'll come to all these other different feasts, and we'll see that they're all connected together and applied to our lives today. But we'll stay focused here for now. So just like God had called the Hebrew people to respond to their deliverance by casting out all of the leaven, God also calls us. He also calls us to respond to His awesome and merciful sacrifice that Jesus made for us by looking at sin 
and casting it out. Casting it out of our lives at all costs. So clearly the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which which immediately follows the Passover, teaches us lessons about how should we respond to Jesus' sacrifice. How should we respond? Not only to how we should respond to Jesus' sacrifice, but also to the deliverance that he purchased for us. In light of this, I want to emphasize that that our striving, which sometimes it can really feel like that, but it doesn't need to be like that, but this, this striving, if you will, to live holy lives that avoid sin and cast out sin, Guys, it can't be done apart from God's help. It can't. I've said it before, and you've heard it probably other places than me, but Christianity is not a self-improvement course. Just because you come to Jesus Christ through faith and receive God's grace and forgiveness, we're still sinners. And sinners sin. Christianity is about Jesus. And like we talked about on Wednesday from the book of Colossians in chapter 2, Jesus is enough. He's enough. He's more than enough. And we cannot live this life free from sin apart from God's help. And when and when we keep in mind the events that, that took place that we read about here during the Exodus, we see that God had no intention for us to make this journey on our own. Right? He didn't deliver the children of Israel out and say, okay, it's that way. I hope you make it. He didn't expect them to do it on on their own. And and he doesn't expect us to make this journey on our own. And this is further illustrated for us when when we remember that after God delivered his people out of Egypt, what did he do? It says he journeyed with them as a cloud of covering by day and by a pillar of fire at night. A cloud of covering by day and a pillar of fire by night, and in doing so God continued In doing so, God continued, here's the key, He continued to make the way of deliverance and lead them into the promised land. Remember, Egypt is also, we've talked about this again before, but I'll talk about it again, but Egypt is, is is spiritually symbolic of the world. It's spiritually symbolic of sin. And Pharaoh, being the leader of Egypt, he, and, 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 um, uh, the ruler over Egypt, he gives us a, a spiritual symbol of Satan, the father of all lies. And, and with this in mind, we need to remember that in this process of setting his people free, in this process of God setting his people free from their Egyptian bondage, bondage that, that, and we haven't got to it yet, but it wasn't long before Pharaoh once again recounted on what he had said when he said, you guys get out of here. You, you need to leave because you'll be a blessing to me if you're no longer gone. And, of course, Israel marched out, and that's where we're at now. But it wasn't long before Pharaoh, what does he do? He pursues after them, right, with his armies, with his chariots. He pursues after God's people, and he ends up trapping them. They were still trapped by your sin. They feel like things got you in a headlock. Yeah. He pursued after them, and he trapped them at the Red Sea. And you know what? What could they do to have escaped? There was nothing. There was nothing. Nothing they could do to escape. 
And the point is this Pharaoh did not want his slaves to be free. And you know what? Satan? And let's not give him all the credit. Because he's been defeated. He's been defeated. But we need to be honest and look at not only Satan, but our own heart. You know, we've been given a new heart, but that old man is still there. That old sin nature is still there. And you know what? And, and that sin nature doesn't want us to be free. Paul writes, says, reckon the old man did, but yet you alive to Christ. But that old man, that, that dead man that, that we're supposed to reckon dead, sometimes he, he, he comes back to life. Years ago, I had the opportunity to, to shoot a bear. I like to hunt. If that's not your thing, I'm sorry. But i got to tell this story. So I was with Andy Hagee. He works in the children's ministry. And we shot this bear. And I'm not a good shot. And by the time I finally killed it, it was a long ways away. And um, I know some of you making fun of my bear. You've seen it in my office. It's a little bear. But it's not a little bear. It's an old bear. And she was heavy, especially packing her out. Well, I gutted that old bear. But um, I don't need to be gruesome. But some of her organs were still in there. Well, when, when we carried her out, her paws were on my shoulder, and as as you walked, her mouth was right there, and she would be all, <gasps> breathing in my face. And, of course, Andy helped out, and he packed that bear out, too, but it was doing the same way. We tried every other way to pack that bear out. That was the most comfortable way, just giving it a piggyback right out. But that's what the old man is like. He's on our backs. He's got his arms around our neck. And as we're taking steps through life's journey, he's all <gasps> breathing in your face. There's a Merry Christmas illustration for you. But the point is, is, is our flesh, Satan, doesn't want us to be free. He's breathing down our neck. And sometimes he's got us trapped, our sins, and there's no place to go. But guys, we must not forget that even after God had delivered his people after Egypt, out of Egypt, he continued to make the way of escape for them. He continued to make the way of escape for them. And in doing so, it tells us that even though there was no way that they could escape, is that God intervened and what did he do? A miraculous thing. He parted the Red Sea. And his people would walk across on dry ground. And you know what that shows us? It shows us that we can trust that when it comes to, to being set free from sin, is, is that God will offer, also offer us and make a way of escape in a miraculous way. The bottom line is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, according to verse 6, was a feast to the Lord. A feast to the Lord. And this reminds us, it reminds me that just like God delivered us out of sin, He is faithful and able to deliver us from sin and from the temptation of sin. Delivered us out, and He delivered us from. That's what the Feast of Unleavened Bread reminds us of. That's what it points us to on this journey, in this life that we've been given to live. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, it says this, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Let me, who sometimes think that I stand, take heed lest I will fall. Why? Because no temptation has overtaken you except which is such and common to man. But God is faithful. He's faithful. who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, 
He will also make the way of escape that we might be able to bear it. That we might be able to bear it. Now, in addition to giving us a spiritual picture of deliverance of the slavery of sin, the Feast of Unleavened Bread also gives us a picture of what sin is like. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I want to hit this as a point. It also gives us a picture of what sin is like. In other words, leaven or yeast is an ingredient that produces fermentation, as I said, or a chemical process that takes place by which dough rises. And since leaven or yeast typically puffs things up, passages of Scripture like 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, where Paul writes there, he associates the yeast or leaven with pride, and this is because pride, as you guys know, it spreads. It saturates through the whole of something, our lives. And, and, and this is because pride is the root of many other sins, the Bible teaches us, such as malice, wickedness, and hypocrisy. And just like yeast, as it spread and saturates through the dough, so too does sin spread and saturate through our lives if it's not completely removed. It is not completely removed. And so in being commanded to seek out and remove all the leaven from their homes, we're given this object lesson through the peace through the, 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 the feast of the of the unleavened bread. We're given this object lesson in the in the work and in the challenge involved in removing sin from our lives. But again, is this something we can do on our own? And and, and this is because I don't know about you, but sin can often move in unseen ways. It can be hard to find. Unless, of course, you're married and your wife or your husband is there to point out for you, right? But better than, than, than your spouse, which is a blessing, guys, when that happens, it's, it's something that the Lord does for us through His Holy Spirit. And, 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 and David, King David, he was aware of this. He was often blinded by his own sin, but he was aware to the blindness and, and he, 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 he was aware of how sin moved in unseen ways. It could be hard to find. And so he called out to God, as you guys know, in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Maybe this be the cry of our heart today, too. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me into the way of everlasting. The second part is, is key. Find me, search me, know me, and then lead me. Lead me to the way of everlasting. And so too, we must ask God, ask God to examine our lives for sin, for sin and, and to seek Him to remove it and then ask Him to lead us out of it. Now, the last thing I want to point out in regards to the Feast of the Unleavened Bread is that with the command, this is key too, with the command to leave, to, to remove all of the, the leaven, there was also this command, and hopefully you noticed it there in verse 6. There's this additional command given in verse 6 to eat the bread, the unleavened bread, for seven days. So, think about it like this. Look at it like this. In preparing for the feast of the, of, of, of the Passover, the Hebrew people to remove all the leaven, but during the, the, the feast of unleavened bread, the seven days, the festival, the focus of the festival was on eating crackers. That's not like a very good festival. 
But that's what the focus of it was. It shifted from the putting out of the leaven to taking something in. Literally the eating of the bread without the yeast in it. And so by this we can see that it's just as important for us to remove all the spiritual leaven, which is sin from our lives, as it is for us to be spiritually eating what? Unleavened bread. And not just for a number of days, because the number of days for us is representative of a completeness. Our whole life. Every day. Every moment of every day. And when we consider John chapter 6, verse 35, where Jesus said what? I am the bread of life. And of course, Jesus was unleavened bread. Because he who is the bread of life is also one who lived a sinless life. And because of that, we have to conclude that Unleavened bread in the Old Testament, as we drop the lenses and look forward, is a picture for us of Jesus. And in John chapter 6, Jesus made it clear that we are to eat of the bread of life. He being the bread of life. And in doing so, He said, you're going to be satisfied. You're never going to hunger again. And He's speaking about our flesh. Our soul, our spirit, our mind, our heart. And when I'm satisfied with Jesus, you know what? I don't want the things of this world. When I'm taking Jesus in, I don't want the trash that the world has to offer. And that's the idea behind it. Consuming the bread of life. In other words, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is really a spiritual call and a reminder for us to daily be putting on the righteousness of Jesus who is the true bread of life into our lives. Because, guys, the more we do this, the more sin will be kept out. And again, the focus isn't on keeping sin out. The focus is on what? Bringing Jesus in. The Bible says we must not be overcome by evil, but we must overcome evil with good. And the Bible says there's none good except for Jesus. Jesus. In other words, the more Jesus is living in us and with us, the more we are living righteously, and the less opportunity there will be for leaven, the leaven of sin, to find a place in our lives. Living by eating fully of the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth is the key to purging out the old leaven of sin from our lives. Christianity is in a self-improvement course. Christianity is Jesus. Justin, if you want to come up, as we wrap things up, I want to point out that the spiritual lessons of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread teaches us that even though our response to, to sin, because this is, this is true, even though, but I'm not, I'm not making light of it, but even though our response to sin in our life should be repentance, followed by a a desire to sin no more and then to put on righteousness. The Feast of Unleavened Bread teaches us, or or through it we quickly discover, guys, that we can't do it on our own, right? We can't do it on our own. This is why Paul in Romans chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, he cries out and he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he answers the question, he says, thank God, it's through Jesus Christ, my Lord. And so we must have God's help 
And the Feast of Unleavened Bread reminds us that submitting to our Deliverer is the only response, the only right response to Jesus' glorious sacrifice that was made on our behalf. Remember, even though, guys, we're not saved by works, right? Even though we're not saved by good works, we are, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so I leave you with this. Let us. Let us eat no leaven so that we might be able to tell our sons, tell our daughters, tell our neighbors, tell our co-workers, tell the people that we come in contact with. Let us eat no leaven of this world so that we might tell them that this is done. We've lived this way. We live separate and holy and dedicated, consecrated to the Lord. Why? Because you wouldn't did for me. Because of what he did for me. And he brought me out of it. Lord, may our lives be a few words, Lord. May our lives be a living. Lord.